welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Joining me, Chris Bowne, the web editor at Hotel Analyst, around the, our virtual editorial table this week are our editorial director, Andrew Sangster, and our perspective editor, Catherine Dogrell. This week, our three topics for discussion are Oyo, the Indian uh, disruptor in the hotel space, Belmont, newly sold, it seems, and finally, a little bit of fun about Brexit. Now, Oyo has has uh, set quite a uh, fast pace in in India as it's, it's been signing up hotels and helping them to uh, brand under a, a single large banner. But uh, Catherine, there's far more to it than that, isn't there? It turns out, yes, um, you can join our lovely large platform, which has finally brought um, branding to India, something people have been failing to do from all over the world for some time now. Um, But you cannot please all the people all the time, and the people you can't please at the moment are the Budget Hotel Association of Mumbai and Associated, who are complaining that OYO are pushing down rates. Um, This is interesting for a number of reasons, um, largely because OYO are talking about expanding very quickly and so they need plenty of hotels to sign up and if hotels think they're going to be getting less money, it's not so much of an incentive one tends to find. Um, But also this follows on from Expedia's Explore 18 event, um, which I attended last week, in which Expedia on uh, on the side was mentioning quite heavily how Airbnb was pushing down rates and um, distorting the market because of the large amount of funding that they had which enabled them to do that. Um, This is exactly what the Budget Hotel Association of Mumbai have said. So it'll be interesting to see where these things go um, in terms of of rates and in terms of how the disruptors operate. It's great for them, obviously it's great for OYO and it's great for Airbnb to offer lower rates and they attract lots of people, but it's not so great for the people who who want to be on their platform. So whether we see some kind of revolt um, remains to be seen, but at this point it seems reasonably likely. OEO themselves not too concerned about the whole situation, um, so we'll see how that goes. Obviously they're now looking in the UK and elsewhere, so keep that growth coming boys. And Andrew, they, they've made quite an impact in, in terms of signing up uh, hotels in India and elsewhere. Yeah, um, well in, in fact they're now talking as, um, about China as being their second home market. But there's a very different situation in China, Um, whereas in in India now they're 10 times bigger than the next biggest branded hotel chain. So they've got 147,000 rooms and Taj have 14,800 rooms. Um, So they've got that dominance in in, in India, but in China, uh, admittedly they've only been going a year, but they're number five still in China. Um, I, I think the bigger question I have with OYO exactly you know what is it um, it started life only five years ago it's now just raised a billion us dollars is on a valuation of uh, five billion us dollars it started life as a online travel agent but it's now morphing and whereas you listen to otas what they talk about is just their guest focus what's oyo talks about is the asset owners focus as well as um uh, having an asset owner's focus as well as a guest focus and in fact you could almost put in say an IHG presentation or a Marriott presentation in where OYO is um, th- th- they sound very much like the uh, as they describe them the legacy hotel brand companies that, that they're singing off the same script as as these brand companies 
I'm not entirely convinced how it's going to work out for them. I think there's been some fairly unique issues in the Indian market which has enabled them to get a lot of traction quite quickly. Whether that's replicable elsewhere, um, I'm a little bit more sceptical of. Particularly sceptical of what they're going to be doing here in Europe. I mean, they've just launched in the UK. How quickly and how effectively they can drive that forward. Because, um, you know, when they, I listen to them and, and I listen to what, what the sort of secret sources, what, what edge that they are supposedly have, um, the founder, Ritesh Agarwal, just seems to say, well, you know, we're going to work harder. Well, frankly that I just don't buy that I just don't think that's a particularly convincing business plan there has to be something underlying that and underpinning that and I'm I'm not sure what the angle is maybe that will become apparent in the next few years maybe they'll have to do another pivot I don't know but right now um, I think yep they've done great in India but elsewhere it remains to be seen Great. Okay. Well, let's move on now to Belmont uh, from an upstart to a stalwart in the luxury hotel space. Um, a curious hybrid. They own hotels. Uh, they also own trains and boats. Um, and it looks like they've got a new owner. Uh, Catherine, what are your reflections on this one? Uh, well, it's great, isn't it? These are uncertain times for us, uh, for the industry, for the economy as a whole, for the world. And yet now a billionaire egomaniac has acquired a very large glamorous hotel company. It's what the people want, <clears throat> it's reassuring, and I think we can all look forward to Belmont continuing and luxury only getting more and more and more, and, uh, and I for one find this uh, a glorious deal. Um, it's very disappointing obviously for all the brokers out there who thought they were gonna be able to pick off uh, Belmont's delightful array of assets, <clears throat> um, which unfortunately doesn't seem to be the, the case now, but onwards and upwards for Belmont. Um, so obviously they own lots of delightful things. Um, the Cipriani leaps immediately to mind, but um, and they presumably won't now be selling these off. But one thing they don't own is the old Orient Express brand. And I will be interested to see what happens with uh, Accor and Belmont, um, <clears throat> Sebastian Bazan and Bernardano know each other in that way that um, tends to happen in these, in these, in these worlds. Um, so whether we'll see something come of that, I'd be interested to see. Um, I was never convinced by Belmont as a brand, um, whether the other whether other people will be. Also amazed to be seen whether it really matters. LVMH have got a lot of heft in the luxury market. I'm sure just tacking the name on the end of that will see lots of sales. Whether they feel the need to add Accor's distribution into that, who knows? Who knows? I think there's plenty more play to be had out of this. But in the meantime, a reassuring luxury deal for people who like reassuring luxury. And uh, <clears throat> so, Andrew, yes. What are the, what are the wider implications apart from the fact that obviously guests will now expect a monogrammed luxury bag on their pillow uh, filled with a magnum of champagne? Yes. Yeah, so the, the first things to say, I think, it's reassuringly reassuringly expensive as well. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost twenty times earnings. Uh, the, the multiple um, that LVMH are paying here, um, the three point two billion including debt um, that they're going to have to cough up. Um, so, I, I, you know, hat tip to the, the Belmont team, actually. They have done wonders for their shareholders here, um, uh, driving this, this price. Um, I think it's really interesting. I, I think, I, I don't think necessarily that LVMH have um, 
been caught overpaying. I think they understand full well what they're getting into. And they're looking at it as much more than a luxury hotel chain. For them, what they're looking at is this is an, another way to get into the whole provision of luxury experiences. And whereas we think of LVMH, LVMH as being about fancy pants, handbags, actually it's much more about the delivery of those experiences than it is the product themselves. And it's something we've been talking about a long time at Hotel Analyst and the, the whole industry is, is, is coming on board with, which is this notion of that we, we are in the experience economy and we're in the, the business of providing experiences. And um, what Belmond um, are is at the very top end of that provision of experiences. I think all of the numbers look good from their point of view in terms of the growth in the high net worth individuals they're targeting um, globally, the growth in global travel and how travel itself is taking a disproportionate share of the spending. Um, because once you've got you know three Lamborghinis in the drive, you don't really need a fourth. You'd much rather go and spend some cash on a fantastic holiday. And this is what LVMH is getting into the business of. Right. Well, thank you for that. And uh, our third topic of the week is uh, a little bit of just for fun. Uh, we're going to talk about Brexit. We've avoided it for weeks on end. Uh, being based in the UK, we can't escape it. But we've we've bitten our tongues. We've sat on our hands right until now. Christmas, let's give you our thoughts. So, Catherine. I like the Brexit. idea that I've been biting, <laughs> biting my tongue around Brexit. But, uh, yeah, OK. <laughs> so, I do live very near Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, if, uh, <coughs> if anyone wants to pop down for a day trip. But, um, yeah, so, as far as the sector goes, it's not getting any better. The last deal, uh, which I believe is now the current deal again, um, which Theresa May attempted to present, was supported by many in the industry, but only because it was a deal and TikTok, TikTok. But um, but now things are looking worse and worse, and nobody really knows where this is going. And in the meantime, we are going to run out of people to run our hotels. Um, so if anyone out there wants to work in a hotel, now may be the time to swoop in. If you have a robot company, now is the time to swoop in. Otherwise possibly okay use for budget hotels not terribly good for the luxury sector what are we going to do no one knows march approaches i, I mean i think it's uh, it's a very messy situation and nobody's um, politically has covered themselves in glory during this whole process i mean both sides have been um, exaggerating and in some unfortunate cases telling outright lies um, it, it, it's, it's quite gruesome and I think it's epic political failure um, I, I hope that's going to change in the new year I'm not holding my breath um, that it will one of the things you know, as a hospitality specialist that, that has been making me particularly irate is the way they're alighting on certain industries as if they're important. So the fishing industry has had so much airtime, and you know, the UK has 11,692 fishermen. That, that's the number at the end of 2007, 11,692. The hospitality industry in the UK employs 3.2 million people. The fishing industry um, contributed, well, they landed 980 million pounds worth of fish, 
the hospitality industry contributed 72 billion in gross value added to the UK economy last year. Uh, uh, yet there doesn't seem to be consideration about hospitality. And, and if you think about even those fishing communities, almost all of them are going to be better off um, if, if hospitality is thought about more because there's more jobs, more opportunities, more prospects in hospitality than there's ever going to be in the no-growth industry of fishing. Um, so I, I find this the whole level of political debate around this utterly depressing. But just for fun in terms of where is this all going to go so well, let's be honest none of us have a clear idea it, it's been completely bonkers but my own take on this um, is well there is a clear majority in the house of parliament so the legislature is uh, sort of 80 percent 90 percent against a hard brexit three quarters of the mps actually voted remain uh, support remaining in the EU, it's very hard to see how they will sit on their hands and allow the country to slide out into a no-deal Brexit. I really just don't see that happening. So I think something's going to have to give. I suspect what will happen is Dominic Grieve, the former Attorney General, has passed the, um, has passed the legislation now, put forward the legislation so that the, the Commons, the House of Commons, can take back control and it's hardest for Europe Brexiteer to oppose that. And I think that will mean that something is done to either halt Article 50, cancel it, or there'll be um, the government will be forced to go back and negotiate with the EU in terms of getting an extension on it. And to give political cover for that, I think we're going to have a second referendum. So we will have a second referendum next year. Could be June. I think most likely it's going to be September because it takes a few months to do so. Here's the Sangster forecast. Um, I, I think we'll have a second referendum, and I think Remain will lose it again. <laughs> I think <laughs> Brits being the curmudgeonly lot we are, I think we're probably going to vote out. And we'll, it's, it, it's just some sort of whichever circle of hell you care to choose, we're just going to descend into that, and the whole ghastly process is going to start again. Catherine, can you better? Yes, <laughs> any better than the circles of hell? Um, no, not really. Um, so yes, I think people that we've we've spoken to um, since this whole sorry mess began have reported back that there has been no change in public appetite. Uh, nobody particularly wants to rush back into Europe, and to be fair, I don't think Europe really wants us. We've never wanted to be in Europe. We've always had a better deal than everyone else in Europe. We've always been smug about not learning the language, not joining the currency. So why not? Why not just leave? But unfortunately, it doesn't seem that we can leave well, um, which is a terrible sadness. <laughs> and people get very confused about what WTO means and what all sorts of other things mean and what control means and how much cheese we can really sell to Sri Lanka and so on and so forth. Um, I think that we're going to be in a permanent state of Brexit. I think that's just what we're going to do. I think we're going to extend the deadline, which we can leave with the EU, um, who frankly have completely lost interest in us anyway. And uh, that's just what we'll do. We'll have a department of Brexit that will just kind of grind on for generations, um, suck some money into it every now and then, and it'll, it'll come up when there's some, uh, some issues around NHS funding. And that's just something that we'll do. It'll be like a hobby. So we'll be in a permanent state of leaving the EU for generations. The Department of Brexit also deal with metrification. Uh, well, <laughs> I think I think the, well, the I, think the I think the important thing about the Department of Brexit was that we'll have a constant rotating head. Um, it'll be Bojo one week and then Jacob Rees-Mogg the other week, so they can constantly feel like they have some power. Uh, they'll have uh, some special robes of office to make them feel all important, and uh, generally keep them away from frontline politics with uh, a lot of ermine and gold. 
And so, yes, that's how it's going to go. Give those two something to do. Keep them I, off I our think, faces. Absolutely. I think metrification actually sums up how our approach to these things, because here we are nearly half a century into it, um, being using uh, the metric system, and we, we still... Um, have miles per hour on our road signs. I think that sums it up. But if you want one sort of ray of light in this whole process, it's that the politicians are going to be so obsessed with Brexit, they're not going to be able to muck anything else up. I shall make a contrarian prediction. I think they're going to make a last-minute bodge or fudge of the agreement. Um, but can I just make a plea? The Conservatives have completely mucked up the whole thing by starting this sorry process by by coming up with the idea, bad idea of a badly drafted referendum they've continued to squabble all the way through the opposition labor party have have failed to convince us that they have really got uh, a clear solution to present to us all so can we please have a new political leader we can actually believe in and vote for but please can they have nothing to do with modeling themselves on emmanuel macron <laughs> <laughs> now now and with that, he's, a, he's a man of the people I don't know what you're saying <laughs> and before we all go and grab our day glow vests and go and man the picket lines um, may I, I just I uh, sign, we'll, <laughs> we'll sign off and wish you all a, uh, a happy seasonal break and just to say that um, our further thoughts on the Belmont sale will be appearing in our first perspective in the new year but for the meantime Enjoy the seasonal break. Goodbye.